of the things that we need to cover this part before we go into some of the other uh, things that we're going to talk about in the days ahead. Our, um, we've really had three openings for this particular series, Fellowship with God, and the first one is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, where we see that God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, there's, there's some really important context for this, and if you know anything about the Corinthian church, they were a church on fire, but man, they had some worldly carnal stuff going on too. That, but you know, Keith Moore's recently, uh, he's still doing it, by the way, uh, uh, he's about up to part 10 now on a uh, series uh, entitled, you know, Your Body Being the Temple. But he goes into a lot of things, and, and one of the things that we see that the church at Corinth was dealing with is they came from generational idol worship. Uh, they weren't raised in church. There wasn't a church in Corinth until the Lord sent, the Holy Spirit sent the Apostle Paul and others there to, to preach Jesus and establish the church. And so there was a lot of carnal, let's just say it that way, sensual, sexual practices that were a part of their former uh, idol worship that obviously they still struggled with some of them. And so I think it's important to have that context. And we'll come back and, and spend a little more time with that. But Notice before the Apostle Paul deals with some of these fleshly things and disagreements and, and uh, you know, internal issues and even questions that, that they pose to him, you know, trying to gain deeper insight in, he reminds them that God is faithful who has called us into the same fellowship with him as his son. So he's not just there to drop the hammer on them or wag a finger at them or chastise them or judge them. All of the correction that comes in both 1 Corinthians as well as 2 Corinthians uh, is with, with this context of what Father God ultimately desires to have from them and from us. 1 John uh, chapter 1 is our next opening. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. You realize we're all going to have that experience one day, right? Uh, in the sense that, you know, be able to touch Jesus, be, be able to hug him, be able to fall at his feet and worship him. It, John experienced that as a man on the earth, and he's talking about his experiences here. And he should know, and we should listen to him, because first of all, he's speaking by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and then you combine the inspiration of the Holy Spirit with his personal experience, what he both saw and heard, and now is giving firsthand testimony concerning the word of life. Verse 2, the life was manifested, and we've seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You think about it for a moment. It, it would be amazing enough for the likes of an apostle John, John the Beloved. I mean, one of the big three, Peter, James, and John, right? And I can make a case for you that, that he was Jesus' absolute best friend, closer to Jesus than any other human being on planet Earth. So it would be pretty cool, you know, to like have fellowship with John. But John is saying, listen, my fellowship is with the Father and with His Son. And what I'm doing and, and what I'm saying and, and how I'm ministering to you and the, and the whole purpose for me to bring the gospel to you is so that you can have this same fellowship with us. So he says, these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Another important tie-in here, that fullness of joy equals fellowship with God and vice versa. Amen. 
This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin. There's some important things that we'll expound upon again in the future as it relates to this verse. But one of the things that um, I want you to see, and and we really zeroed in on some of this last week, is that, you know, it's one thing to be born again. It's another thing to, um, to have fellowship and to, and, to, and to fellowship with the Lord. And I probably just need to leave that alone and move on because every time I get there, it, because there's a lot, there's a lot to that. Um, but don't, it's not salvation for salvation's sake. It's not redemption for redemption's sake. It's not justification for justification's sake or reconciliation for reconciliation's sake. All of these things are for fellowship's sake. Because all of these things that Jesus has done for you, the grace that he's lavished upon you, the position that he's now installed you in, is also that we could now make the choice to fellowship and enjoy fellowship with our Father. Now, <clears throat> let me, and I'm, I'm going to skip over a bunch of things that are extremely important, but when Jesus invited us into a yoke with himself in Matthew 11, remember the passage in Deuteronomy 22 and 10 where he says you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together and so what he's talking about here is would be a situation of unequally yoking two things together and God forbids two things that are not comparable to one another to be yoked together so what does it say about father's view and perspective and love and opinion of you when he instructs Jesus to invite you and me into a yoke of fellowship with him. When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, certainly there is commitment there, there's dedication there. I believe the cross is to salvation what the yoke is to discipleship in the sense that the cross, you know, is the symbol, people wear it on a chain or or what have you. You know, it's like that represents what Jesus did for us to um, to pay for our shame, he was able to steal it because he paid right price. So he paid a high price for it. Amen. So the you know the yoke of discipleship, though, if we're not careful, you know, we can present that as in a way that it sounds like drudgery or it just you know it's, I got to take up my cross and uh, you know. No, man, this is, this is the greatest invitation, as, as Brother Donald said a few weeks back, the greatest honor, and there's not a close second that we could ever have extended to us. So a yoke represents a common union of fellowship. And it's in that common union of fellowship where we learn things and understand things and come to firsthand knowledge of things that cannot be learned, understood any other way. Amen. Now, I asked you a question a few weeks back. Did Jesus reveal things to those closest to him that he did not reveal to everyone else? And the answer to that is yes. John chapter 15, beginning at verse number 15, Jesus speaking, No longer do I call you servants. And by the way, he wasn't speaking to thousands and thousands of people. He was speaking to his inner circle here. He was speaking to his disciples. For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you 
and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask the Father in my name, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. He may give you. Again, it's fellowship. Fellowship, people who are in fellowship with one another love to share with one another. They, it's, it's that common union, that, that, that common exchange. Um, you ever heard the expression, I, I'm, I'm probably going to butcher the Spanish here, Bethany's somewhere going, Dad, mi casa, you casa, but basically my house is your house, right? That's, that's fellowship speak, right? What, what's mine is yours, what's yours is mine. It's also covenant speak. And this word friend here is a very important very powerful word that Satan, as he does with all other important, powerful things, desires to undermine the meaning and the effectiveness of. And I'm not here to rail against, you know, social media and all that stuff because, you know, we're broadcasting to people right now through social media. Um, But, you know, let's just say it this way, okay? A, A friend according to the world standard, is not what it used to be. The word friend doesn't mean what it's supposed to mean. And so, like, for instance, there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. This is covenant language as well. Blood is thicker than water. People misunderstand that. When blood is thicker than water, they think it means like your kin, like your blood relatives. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying blood brothers are thicker, closer, tighter than brothers born from the same womb, brothers that came from the same water. Okay, So when Jesus uses this word friend, how many of you know that he, he means what he says and says what he means? It's not something he just throws around loosely or, or lightly. You know, oh, she's my best friend. You're my best friend. No, see that? Uh-uh. Jesus didn't, you know. He's, remember, he's the one that told you and me that we would give an account for every idle word. So for Jesus to call these men friends, and notice he's also implying that there was a progression in their standing and position with him, that they began as you know, volunteers. You know, he called them, they answered, and you know, they walked with him, and they followed him, and they learned of him, and began to believe on him. And so he's basically saying, that um, no longer do I call you servants. If he's saying I don't call you servants any longer, that implies what? That at one point he did call them that and didn't consider them that, but now they are much more to him than that. And all of this is, is, is fellowship speech. All, all of this is fellowship talk. Amen. And so we, we then see, of course, and you'll see this every time, every time that Father talks about our fellowship with Him, either by Jesus or by the Holy Spirit or or all of them, right? That every time He talks about fellowship with Him, walking with Him, He combines with that our walking together with, in harmony with, in love to, in submission with other human beings. Amen. And so this is why it's, it's particularly, I think, frustrating for our Father, and I know it certainly... Is, is frustrating for me at times when we throw this, this terminology around a personal relationship, um, you know, with, with Jesus. I have a personal uh, relationship with God. Um, and, 
and I, I don't mean this to be, um, you know, rude or you know, make anybody mad or anything like that, but not everyone who sings I am a friend of God at the top of their lungs actually is. And I, I you know, I, I mean, we should sing it, we should confess it, but even more than that, we should long to be considered a friend of God by God. Amen. Amen. So when we talk about this idea of um, having fellowship with God as opposed to uh, a personal relationship with God, remember we broke down that word personal and, uh, and it doesn't line up with Scripture. The word personal speaks of something that's private, secretive, exclusive, self-defined, unique to the individual. Well, that's not how God sees it. That's not, that's not what, and, and again, we could do a whole months-long series just on the confusion and what that looks like now in the body of Christ because people think just the exclusivity that, that um, you know, so many churches, um, remember Jesus... <laughs> Jesus reached out to and loved the unlovable. He laid his hands on lepers. He, he opened his heart and arms up to, uh, to hurting and broken people. Not to comfort them or, uh, you know, when I say comfort them, not to, not to keep them and let them stay in the position that they were in. It wasn't pity. It was compassion. And compassion is a force that brought hope and change and healing and deliverance and empowerment and, and future and all these things into the people's lives that Jesus uh, loved. Let me see if I can say this another way. And I, again, some of these terminologies mean different things to different people. But it's not, Christianity is not about self-help, nor is it about social justice. Now, God is a God of justice. Don't misunderstand me now. Maybe I'm, but remember what we're doing. We're taking that paintbrush here, okay? And, and according to the world, social justice is, you know, you be you, you do you, and whatever you are, everybody else needs to accommodate you. And, and, uh, and, and you know, again, Jesus didn't preach acceptance. He preached repentance. Love now, love, absolutely. Love, love, love. But he also, um, you know, ministered to and, and lifted people up and out of poverty and sickness and ignorance and darkness. Amen. And so we need to you know, remember that. So, so, again, there's so many things we could talk about here. But I think the one aspect of the myth of a personal relationship with God is this idea of it being self-defined. And if something is self-defined, that simply means it's whatever the person says it means. It, you know, um, in, in the book, Becoming a Threat to Addiction, I, I list the, all the different reasons why people try so hard at recovery, even born-again people try so hard at recovery only to fail in the end. And I believe the number one reason people try so hard at recovery only to fail and relapse is that they don't know what recovery really is. In other words, they think they know. They have what it means to them personally. But what recovery means to them personally and what recovery actually is are quite often not the same thing. 
And, and this is, I think, one of the biggest, I'm going to use the word dangers, that's associated with the myth, with the lie, with the deception of a personal relationship with God is that this means our relationship with Him or that individual's relationship with Him means whatever that person thinks it does or says it means. And this is not the kind of relationship or fellowship, remember we're using that word uh, loosely there, that Father desires. Okay, So when we talk about God calling us to Himself and how we come, so let's not lose sight of that overarching uh, backdrop that we've spent some time establishing before we moved into this section, is that, you know, he who comes to God must believe that he is and must believe. So there's a specific way that we're to come, but remember, he invites us to come. Come unto me, all you labor and are heavy laden. But we've got to, there's a right way to come and a wrong way to come. Let me get it out. There's a right way to come and a wrong way to come. And God did not invite you to have whatever kind of relationship with him you decide you would like to have. Now, praise the name of the living God. So, we'll, there's no way we'll be able to finish this, but I want to at least get it started. There are things that are lost in translation when we go from the original Greek and Hebrew into the uh, English language. And that's not any you know, knock on or diss against the English translation of the Bible. The simple reality of it is both Hebrew and Greek are more complex languages than English and as you've heard me say over and over again there are verb tenses in the Greek that don't even exist in English and over the years we cycle back around to it quite frequently but one of the examples would be the word in our English Bible love can actually be translated from one of four different Greek words that all have different meanings so do you understand when I say it's lost in translation? When it's translated from a uh, of sophisticated language to, let's just say, a less sophisticated language, there are things that are going to be lost. Now, the good news is, and, and man, today, when I first started with this, it was big, thick books all over my desk or all over the kitchen table. And then, you know, it cost a pretty penny, but you could get a digital library and now it's, there's free stuff online, uh, Blue Letter Bible, Bible Gateway, you know, where you can go in and look up the meanings of, of these words. And, and that's one of my favorite ways to, uh, to study the Scriptures. But this truth and reality of Father's desire for fellowship with us and what Jesus actually had to say about this is sometimes looked over because of the way the scriptures were translated from his original comments to what we now have in the English text. So Jesus used the word friend, but in the original text we find Jesus actually using two different words with vastly different meanings that are sadly both translated into our English word, friend. And, th- and this is very unfortunate because when Jesus... In other words, it appears like Jesus is throwing this word friend around casually, but 
the word that he used, it's, it don't even rhyme with it. I mean, it's not even, uh, amen, I don't mean to get all frustrated here, but it's, it's not even close. Um, and yet, it was translated into our English word friend when, in my humble opinion, it should have never been. So the Greek words that we get our English word friend, in other words, what it means to be a sincere or true friend, and these are words you're going to recognize. They are similar, right, to, to, to philo. And here is philos. This is one who unselfishly makes another person's interests their own. See, this is, this is now getting to the root of, of what a friend really is. And we've all had so-called friends in our lives, but the relationship that they had with you was always on their terms. It was, it, it was always about what was best for them or what was in their best interest. And if you fit into that, then fine. But if you didn't fit into that, see, that's, that's not what a real friend is, nor is it what fellowship is or what fellowship looks like. So the two words that we'll look at this evening moving forward, philos is one who unselfishly makes another person's interests their own. Did Jesus do that for us? Did he unselfishly make your interests, both um, now physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, eternal, financial, social, all the things that are of interest and, and, and supreme importance to you and me, Jesus unselfishly, unselfishly made those interests um, his own. And again, we've got lots of verses in the notes that we'll look at, but I think you already probably know some of those anyway, praise God. So then another derivative of this word is, is the word philia, and this word is also, it means friendship. And this is the quality that brings two people together to share common interests. Common interests. Remember, God is an eternal community dwelling in absolute communion. One of the ways to understand communion is not just the wafer and the juice, but a common union or a, a mutual exchange. Now, let's look at this in Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 and 4, where we're instructed by the Holy Spirit, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Praise God. Praise God. All right, so again, all of these uh, words and verses are fellowship. Or fellowship related. Now, there's another word in the original language that's translated friend, uh, mainly friend. In some English translations, it's translated companion, okay? And that word in the original language is the word hetair, H E T A I R E. Now, so do you see what I'm saying? It's, it's not even close to philos, it's not, it, or philia. It's, not, it's, it's, it's nowhere even in the same uh, ballpark. They don't sound alike, they don't rhyme, anything like that. But in the words of Jesus, uh, this is translated friend in the English Bible, but it speaks of a kept woman in the female or a mercenary 
if, if it's used to refer to a male. Now, the idea behind a kept woman is this would be a woman who would fall somewhere between wife and prostitute. Okay, I know this is maybe sensitive, so I'm not trying to be too graphic here. But would fall somewhere between wife and prostitute. So, in, in our common language today, this would be referred to as a mistress. A mistress, okay? And as it relates to a male, why would the example of this on the male side of things be a mercenary? Because a mercenary is a soldier who has no allegiance to any country but offers his services to the highest bidder. So if you've got enough money, he'll go put his life on the line for you. But not because he's loyal to you, not because he uh, thinks that you've got this great government and it should be uh, supported and established and protected and flourish in the earth. It has nothing to do with that. Again, notice it's his own interests. So with the female side of this, obviously no covenant involved, but it's, it's a very selfish-based relationship where the man involved obviously is getting things that he wants from the relationship, the female is getting things she wants from the relationship, but it is a broken image of the beautiful fellowship that Father God desires to display in the uh, marriage covenant, in the the marriage fellowship partnership uh, that he designed. Now, let me give you a little more on this word heter, or heteros is another derivative of this, and it refers to a selfish acquaintance, one who seeks his or her own interest above the interest of others. So do you see how these things are opposite to one another? Remember now, philia, friendship, one who unselfishly makes another person's interest their own, uh, philia, the quality that brings two people together to share common interests. But when we are talking about heter, uh, we're talking about a selfish acquaintance who seeks his or her own interest above the interest of the other party. So this would be, one example of this would be a partner in a company, so a financial partner, but not necessarily for the good of the others involved in the company, but primarily for his own advantage. The good of others is only acceptable to a hater when it promotes his or her own well-being. Are you seeing this? And this is why it can sometimes be uh, difficult to discern, because on one hand it seems like that this person really is for you, but the only reason they're for you is because of what you can do for them. Getting quite up in here. Amen. Have you figured out by now that a true friend is a rare and precious gift? Amen. Amen. And, and, and we should celebrate the ones that we have, cherish the ones that we have, uh, bless and pour into and pray for and minister to the ones we have and, and believe God uh, for more. Amen. Y'all still with me? Okay. Um, now, Jesus used this word 
heteros or some derivative of it on four different occasions in the gospel. Gospels, I'm sorry, four different occasions in the gospels. Let's try to get to at least one of those tonight. Matthew chapter 11, verses 16 and 17. And and this is one of those passages that until you really understand the meaning of the word companion in the New King James Version, um, it'll be a little fuzzy to you, okay? But once you understand what Jesus is really, the word that he really used, I think it'll make this verse come alive. He says this, "But, But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their hetaires, okay? To their heteros, all right? So companion, other places, it, I think it's translated friends. But Jesus isn't talking about someone who genuinely loves you and puts your interest ahead of their own here. Jesus deliberately, intentionally used a word that people in his day understood exactly what it meant. They knew exactly what that word meant. They had the visual images of a, of a mistress or a mercenary Someone who was only in it for what they could get out of it. But to what should I liken this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace calling to their phony friends. Right? Calling to people that they, you know, one minute telling somebody, oh, she's my best friend, and the next minute ripping them to pieces behind their backs. And saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. So among other things, Jesus is pointing out the lack of true fellowship and the selfish, shallow, and phony friendships that had become customary among so many in his day. Now, why is this a problem? I mean, why, why should it matter? Well, it matters for a lot of reasons. Remember, we were created to have fellowship with God, but we were also created to have fellowship with one another. And we've already seen in multiple verses where our fellowship with Him influences our fellowship with others and vice versa, right? Right? The more I fellowship with the Father, the better husband I am to Pam, the better pastor and servant leader I am to you, the better father I am to my children and grandfather that that I am to my grandchildren. But the same is true. Are you following me? Now, watch this. If I allow strife and conflict to spoil or hinder the fellowship that I have with the people that I'm called to serve and to minister to, let's just say other human beings, is that important to God? In other words, is that a big deal to Him or is He just let the rough end drag and just come on, son, let's hang out together? No, it's not okay with Him. He tells us to get it, to get it straight, to straighten it out. So if, if, if I'm in strife with you, it's going to hinder my fellowship with God. And the devil knows this. 
Why do you think he tries so hard to get us in strife with one another? I mean, you can let somebody you don't even know may never see again cut you off in traffic and ruin two-thirds of your day. And the devil's just sitting back laughing his backside off. Now all of a sudden you hollering and screaming in strife with somebody, you know, in a, in a blue truck or whatever, you know, and can't believe they did that, who they think they are, talking to people, drive, they think they own the road. And the, again, it's, it's, it's strategy, right? Every strategy the devil has, remember, he ultimately comes down to getting you to respond in a way that he wants you to respond. So this is a real problem for a lot of reasons, but the, the obvious ones are strife and, and, and hindered fellowship with other people in our lives affects and vice versa. If, if we have things that we've, you know, we sinned against God, we're doing things that we know we shouldn't do, it interrupts and, and hinders and, and interferes with our fellowship with Him, then it, it interferes with our ability to be what God needs us to be to the people around us. So Jesus is pointing out again the lack of true fellowship and the selfish, shallow, and phony friendships that had become customary among so many in his day. And boy, we're seeing that. It's a technological world that we live in, but we're seeing so much of that now in our, in our day, right? We've never been more connected and more divided as a people on planet Earth than we are right now. And we were created for more than this. We were created for more than this. So notice, notice what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, listen, you, 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 were, um, you had reason to celebrate and rejoice in your life, but your friends, quote unquote, your haters, right? They're not your true friends. They wouldn't even celebrate a victory with you. They wouldn't even celebrate. You just got a new job, and you invited some folks over for some barbecue, and they'd had a long day and just decided they would stay home. That, this, this is what he's talking about here. They, they, weren't, they didn't want to come and celebrate with you and rejoice with you. And then he says, you know, you went through a difficult time in your life and, 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 and you were going through a, a period of sorrow. And again, your haters, these, these BFFs, you know, that, that you do all these things for and with and, and all this you know, phony, shallow relationships. When you needed them the most, you know, they weren't there for you. That's, that's what Jesus is saying here. Now, what should it look like? Well, Romans 12 and 15 tells us what it should look like. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Amen. Are you, are you following this? That's, that's the gospel standard. That's the, that's the way of fellowship. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Man, I figured this out a long time ago. I, Lord just helped me see this. As this related to my own life, I found out that I could get people to cry with me a lot quicker than I could get people to celebrate with me. <laughs> Man, I got a new car. You want to come see it? Nah, just you can tell me about it. Well, really, what'd you get? I got a 1977 Toyota. That ain't new. What's well, new to me? Anybody ever? <laughs> that ain't new. Amen. 
And you've heard me say this before. We, we can't even let people have the best story. You know, they, they want to tell you something. You say, oh, really? Oh, well, oh, uh, 1977 Toyota Tercel, I just got a brand new 1985 Camry. Why would I want to go look at your old crummy Tercel? See, that, amen. Who are you genuinely happy for when something good happens to them? Who is genuinely happy when something good happens to you for you? Sister Amy's, is, you know, it's just been such a beautiful thing to watch all that God's done in her life in a very, very short period of time. Things that he's doing in her family and in her home and in her life. And, and um, is it okay if I say it? You know, she, she obviously got her mathematics degree and her heart, she's felt for years that she was called to teach. And so she just went to see, she just went to the Jefferson County Board of Education to see what she needed to do to try to get some type of emergency certification to be a math teacher. She's got principal calling her on her way home wanting to hire her. Amen. Amen. We celebrate with you, sister. We rejoice with you. Praise God. Amen. And so you say, well, well, I need a better job. Well, then celebrate with your sister. Rejoice with her. And believe that if God gave her a good job, he'll give you one. Fellowship. See, in fellowship, when one of us prospers, we all prosper. When one of us, you know, has a breakthrough and, and experiences, you know, some great thing in their life, and then we should all celebrate, we should all rejoice. See, that's how you, that's, there was this one thing to say, you know, put other interests ahead of your own, or, you know, it's, it's easy to say that, and it's easy to think we do that, but where the rubber meets the road in that is when something really exciting is happening. Are we jealous about it? We feel like it's not fair. Man, I've been in this church for years, and I've done me a good job. See, again, that's, that's, not, that's not fellowship. It's not the ways of God. It's not the ways of God. Let me, let me go back to this one verse, and we'll pray. Um, when he says in Philippians 2, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, See, that, those are anti-fellowship. <laughs> In other words, nothing will shut off and shut down fellowship like am, selfish ambition and conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you not only look out, not only look, look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. So here's... It's, it's kind of like in Romans 12 when he tells us to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. People hear that and something warped in their brains hears, think poorly of yourself, think lowly of yourself. That's not what he said. He actually tells you and me to think highly of ourselves, just not more highly than we ought. And as it relates to these verses, when he's telling you to esteem others better than yourself... It's kind of like love your neighbor as yourself. If you, if you loathe yourself, if you hate yourself, right? So in other words, in, in order to effectively love other people, you've, you've got to have an, an appreciation for and a love for who God made you to be. And, and he made you lovable when he set his love upon you and transformed you. 
So when he's saying to, to esteem others better than yourself, he's not telling you to think lowly or poorly of yourself or to think of yourself as unworthy or no good or undeserved. That's not what he's saying. Think highly of yourself, not more highly than you ought to think, and then think even higher of other people. Amen? All right, stand with me tonight. Praise God. So that's one of the four times Jesus uses this word. I look forward to, um, to sharing the other three with you. The last one, you may already been ahead of me, but Judas kissed him. Anybody? Judas kissed him, and what did Jesus say? Friend? He wasn't calling him Ophelia, okay? <laughs> he was, he, Jesus used the word heteros, right? He's, he's, he's mercenary, loyal, only in it for what's in it for you. Sell your loyalties to, to, to whoever the highest bidder is. See, we read this and we think, oh, look, Jesus, even when he betrayed him, he's calling him a friend. No, Jesus was calling him what he really was. Wasn't a friend. Wasn't a friend. Hired gun, that's right. Amen. Friends of God, amen. 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 We got more. We got it's getting gooder and gooder, man. I'm excited about this. So, but we gotta understand what it's not so we can really understand what it is. Amen. All right. Father, you're good to us and we love you. Thank you for helping us, Lord. Thank you for revealing your truth to us, Father. Thank you for setting your love upon us. Father, again, the highest honor that we would be called, we would be summoned, Lord, to, to fellowship with you, to, to, to have not just some, you know, third-tier, low standard of fellowship, but to have the same standard of fellowship with you as Jesus. Oh, Father, what a blessing. We're bone of his bone. We're flesh of his flesh. We're his body. We're one with him, so it only makes sense, Father. The same way that my children's spouses have the same fellowship with me, Lord, as they do, Lord. Now, as the bride of Christ, how you welcomed us into your family. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for helping us. Thank you for teaching us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, be blessed. Good things coming. We'll see you Sunday, if not before. Praise God.